On that day, the first day of the week, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I'm going to read this verse again, John chapter 20, verse 19, and I want you to follow each word closely because each word in it is vital. On that day, the first day of the week, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace, shalom, be with you. C.S. Lewis once said that rather than try to persuade someone that the Christian story is true, start by telling them the story in such a way that they wish it were true. Which is to say, for C.S. Lewis, the Christian story ought first to be aimed at the human heart, not the human mind ought first to be aimed at one's desire, not initially one's reason. Or in a word, the Christian story for C.S. Lewis must awaken human longing before it can truly begin to satisfy human curiosity. I want you to hold on to that for a moment. We wrapped up a six-week sermon series last Sunday on the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And each week in that series, we considered, by focusing on the core preoccupations of various prophets, what the Old Testament prophetic hope was. And that hope was, we saw, the hope for a new heaven and a new earth. It was the hope for all that is wrong in this world to one day be set right. It was the hope for God Almighty through the work first of a coming Messiah and then later through a mighty work of God's own regenerating spirit. It was the hope for God Almighty to refashion this broken world transforming it into a new world, a world redeemed and restored and made whole again. Yes, the prophetic hope we saw was the hope that all violence would one day end and that all exploitation and oppression would one day cease and that all broken relationships would one day be restored and that all pain and suffering would one day stop and that one day death itself would be no more. Yes, the prophetic hope we saw was the hope for all of these things to come to pass and with them so many other beautiful, glorious things such as these besides. And this vision we saw, this hope was the vision, was the animating idea that sustained Israel for centuries upon centuries. Sustained them throughout oppression and subjugation by different empires sustained them throughout all sorts of disappointments and betrayals, sustained them throughout all manner of dashed hopes and crushed 
spirits. Yes, the hope that sustained Israel, we saw, was this prophetic vision. This vision of God one day mending all that is so demonstrably broken in this world. And of justice and righteousness and peace on that day. Embracing forevermore. We have to understand the Israelites longed for this. They yearned for this. Their souls cried out for this. And to the point of today's Easter sermon, all these years later, so too do our own souls still cry out for this very same thing. That's not fair, we gasp, when we've been taken advantage of or when we see someone taking advantage of someone else. That's unjust, we exclaim, when we see or when we experience prejudice and discrimination. How could they, we cry, when we feel ourselves betrayed or when we see someone betray another? Why we grieve when tragedy happens? Or when those whom we love pass away too early. Or when bad things happen to good people. And how, we exclaim, when we watch someone violate or abuse or exploit or desecrate another and somehow get away with it. And then when... We wonder, when will it, when will this ever end? Dear family, all of these questions, all of these reactions, all of these laments, all of these are, if we will but consider them closely, insights into our essential human nature. Insights into the very core of our created being. Insights into our most basic, fundamental human longing for these questions and these reactions and these laments. These all emanate from our innate awareness that something here is indeed wrong. That something here is indeed broken. That this is not how things here are supposed to be. And thus these instinctive yearnings are but the outcry of our most essential humanity. The guttural cry for things to be put back to the way that we know deep down things are supposed to be. Yes, this is our deepest human longing. Which brings me back to those first words that the resurrected Jesus spoke to his disciples. His very first words. Peace be with you, he said. 
displaying to them as he did his risen, glorified nature. Shalom be with you. Oh, what a mistake it is for us to hear these words and assume that what Jesus is speaking of here is peace as an emotion. Oh, what a mistake it is for us to hear Jesus say, peace be with you, and assume that all Jesus means is, might you feel a measure of calm right now in your spirit. For when Jesus says to his disciples here, peace be with you, Jesus is not simply describing an emotional state of being. He is instead proclaiming the inbreaking of an all-new reality. When Jesus says here to his disciples, peace be with you, he doesn't just mean, may you feel peace now. He means, may you be at peace as I am at peace forevermore. I said earlier that I wanted you to pay close attention to each word of John chapter 20, verse 19. So let me now repeat the words of this verse once more. Follow closely. On that day, the first day of the week, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. On that day, what day? The day of his resurrection. On that day, the first day of the week, we've already established that it was resurrection day, so why mention that it was also the first day of the week? Oh, well, here's why. It's because of what the first day of the week points to in the Jewish imagination. It points to the very beginning. It points to new creation. It points to the start of something brand new. The first day. On the first day, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Are you following me on this? Not just experience peace now, because here I am not really dead. Not just experience peace now because you need not be afraid of those who put me to death. No, instead, be at peace forevermore because see, all has now been accomplished. No, instead, be at peace here forever forward because see, all is being set right. By the resurrected Jesus saying to his disciples, peace be with you. He is saying, look, look, the new heavens and the new earth that Isaiah and that all the prophets talked about. The new reality in which sin and evil and injustice have been vanquished. The new state of things in which all that is broken will one day be restored. All of that has now begun. All is being set right. 
all that you have longed for for so long is coming to fruition. For look, standing here before you, risen from the dead, victorious over all that stymies and frustrates and distorts the way that things should be. Look, look, standing here before you, I am displaying to you in my body that these things are conquered foes. That they have been judged and found wanting. That they have been proven ultimately in the final analysis ineffectual. And that all sin and that all stain upon shalom is being and will ultimately be removed from this broken world. Yes, on that day. On the first day of the week, in the beginning, at the start of something brand new, Jesus came and stood among His disciples and showing them His resurrected, transformed body, no longer vulnerable to sin, impervious now even to death, displaying all of this to them, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. Shalom for now, because of shalom forevermore. You often hear me say the words, if the resurrection happened. I don't say this because I'm undecided as to whether I believe that the resurrection happened. I believe it did with every fiber of my being. Instead, I say, if the resurrection happened, because I can't prove that it happened. At least not in any mathematical or scientific fashion. No one can. Thus, if the resurrection happened is the most honest way to talk about such a thing. But more importantly than that, the reason that I so often say, if the resurrection happened, is to draw emphasis and attention to what the word if in that sentence implies. For if of course, is always followed by a then. And here I want you to follow me so closely because everything else hangs on what I'm about to say. People don't just come back from the dead. Resurrection does not just happen as opposed to resuscitation, which does sometimes just happen. No, resurrection, meaning the triumph over death and the assumption of a new transformed material being, resurrection is something that has either happened once in all of human history or it is something that has never happened before. And if it has never happened before, then it is just a pretty idea. Just a lovely metaphor. Poetic, sure, but not necessarily signifying anything. But if it happened once, just that once, then what that once signifies is necessarily enormous. Because if it did happen, then it means that there is so much more to reality than we can possibly see or perceive or understand or fathom. Because if it did happen, 
then it means that all that Jesus said and did in his life were vindicated by God and deemed absolutely righteous and true and revelatory regarding the way that things should be. Because if it did happen, then it means that all that Jesus said and embodied concerning the coming kingdom of God has been divinely affirmed. And thus, if it did indeed happen, then it means that all of those things that the prophets and that the ancient Israelites and that human beings down through history and that all of us gathered here together today have so deeply all our lives longed for, it means necessarily that all of those things will indeed come to pass, that it's not just a pipe dream, but that instead it's the truest dream that humanity has ever dreamed. If so, then that. For if the resurrection of Jesus really did happen, which I so deeply believe it did, then it was and it is nothing less than the inauguration of this very longed-for reality. Follow me here so we can flesh this out and pin down what this means. If Jesus rose from the dead, seeing as people otherwise don't just rise from the dead, it means that war and violence really will one day be no more. It means that a time really is coming when there will be no more oppression and exploitation. It means that human betrayal and faithlessness really will one day abate it means that crying and suffering and pain really will one day cease. It means that sickness and even death really will be one day done away with forevermore. And that we will be raised to newness of life amid such an eternal reality. If so, then that. Now, you don't begin, C.S. Lewis said, by trying to persuade someone of the truth of the Christian story. You begin by trying to awaken one's desire. By telling a story so beautiful that one longs with his or her whole heart for it to be true. Well, by that measure, dear family, I know of no story more beautiful than this one. And I know of no one who tells it more beautifully than the Old Testament prophets. And I know that the surest sign of this ancient beautiful story's truth is and can only be the continued proclamation of the scandalous, astonishing resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so with no other preamble to it now, presenting it in the form of its most naked, unadorned power, I proclaim it to you. Christ Jesus is risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. On this Easter Sunday, as we long for this coming reality, and as we take on faith that it is true, may our hearts be open and may our spirits perceive and may our ears rightly hear 
these reality-altering, kingdom-inaugurating words. Peace be with you, saith the resurrected, risen Lord Jesus to us. Shalom for now. Because of shalom forevermore. And all God's people said on this resurrection day, Amen. And I will be down front now to receive any who might this day.